Our first reading this afternoon is from Psalm 19 on page 6 of our zines. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And our second reading is from 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 to 16. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as, as it, it, it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things that those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. You'll see an outline on page eight. As we move through, we'll be looking at that first, the second reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, resilience is a word in our vocabulary that it probably is as it's never been before. We hear it a lot, frequently attached uh, to our generation and younger uh, because maybe of its absence. Uh, it's the idea that faced with the slightest setback, we may fail to cope or we might resort to, to certain responses or behaviours 
aggression because we might feel out of control or hopelessness or despair when faced with rejection, um, abuse of substances if we feel uncomfortable or escape at the slightest prospect of boredom or being trapped. Now, these responses are understandable often because life can be hard and exhausting. And we are sold a certain kind of vision of life, which means our expectations are high. And the stakes are higher because social media, everything is public and everyone else seems to be nailing life. And so when we struggle, resilience is something that is often thought of a good thing to build. It seeks to strengthen the individual to deal with life's realities rather than its ideals. And much of the wisdom around the word resilience and its concepts is helpful. Uh, It's common grace that we can apply. But today I want to tweak the idea a little bit and to speak of gospel resilience as a way in which to strengthen us in our faith to deal with the realities of the struggle of living for Jesus with realities rather than ideals. So I hope to be some encouragement as we look at this idea of resilience. I don't know if you've ever had that moment of being at a picnic or going on a walk and suddenly you feel the air temperature start to drop, the breeze start to pick up and you look out on the horizon and the ominous black clouds are starting to roll across and then you feel those first sporadic heavy drops it seems on the horizon something is coming the inevitable and so you look for shelter to escape the imminent downpour and the reading today that we read works kind of like that way up until this point the reports back from this young church the Thessalonians have been positive things have been going well it's kind of blue skies and beautiful views but the clouds are on the horizon there is opposition on its way and the question for the readers here is 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 it time to pick up and, and and abandon the picnic is it time to abandon the faith because we're, we're facing opposition is this what should be happening And that's what Paul speaks to in this passage today. See, life in the kingdom of God is not a picnic. A life of following Jesus will involve us in a life of struggle. Paul has spoken about his own experience of struggle and suffering. And the church now, the Thessalonian church, is facing its own opposition and struggling. The sober reality is that every believer will face it at some point in time, whether we like it or not. And the questions that the text kind of asks of us, or of this early church, is will will they endure through this opposition and suffering? Are they resilient enough to weather it? Well, Paul thinks so, and he wants to strengthen them and encourage them to persevere. 
Part of developing resilience is about recasting expectations, working with realities rather than ideals. And Paul, in this chapter, gives them a clearer picture of what is actually happening. What God is at work at amongst them, so as to firm them up and to encourage them, give them confidence to endure. In doing so, we can be encouraged as well. So we're going to move through this passage initially under two headings. Uh, What miracle happened in these new believers and looking at two in particular. Hearing the voice of God and enduring in spite of suffering. Well, when this storm on the horizon is, is coming, it's interesting to see how Paul begins, because he begins with thanksgiving. But then he goes on to remind them of what has happened, the miracle that has happened. That is that they have heard the voice of God and have responded to him. Look at verse 13. He says, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. To give these believers confidence, he begins by thanking God about what he's done in their lives already, the miracle that they have heard the voice of God. See, Paul is saying that his message that he had been entrusted with and that he's passed on is the very words of God. This is a miracle of how God speaks to us. As we read the scriptures, as God's word is taught, we don't just see words on a page, we don't just hear a preacher's vocal cords as the word is explained. We we hear, Paul says here, the voice of God. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. It's what the doctrine of inspiration means. In 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, all scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is God's voice, the very voice of God speaking to us. God's breath throughout the pages of Scripture is everywhere. We see the Spirit is like a breath or a wind hovering on the waters in creation, bringing life out of nothing. And so here, by the Spirit, the breath of God brings life through his word. An analogy might help us, and you might have heard this analogy before, to hear how God speaks to us through Scripture. But if you consider a musician a jazz musician, someone like Louis Armstrong. No one would ask whether the music being played by Louis was from the trumpet. Is the music from Louis or is it from his instrument, the trumpet? We would say, well, no, Louis plays this music. But the instrument through which the breath passes in order to become audible is the trumpet. And the Bible writers, if you like, are the instruments of God's revelation. 
a trumpet here, an oboe there, a saxophone here, and they all make different sounds, but the musician, the skilled artist who gives breath, who fills them with all this breath and sound so that the tune is played correctly, is God in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is saying here that he is the instrument of revelation to the Thessalonians. And the miracle that Paul says here is that they received it as such. The message that he was entrusted with, that he forwarded on, they received as the voice of God, and it changed them. It's a miracle because of its origin, because it takes more than intellect to hear. They were changed and heard this voice by the Spirit. We live in a world where there is a sea of voices around us. And often it's so loud that we find it hard to listen to the voice of God. When we come to God's word, we hear the clamour of our world and its voices. There's the clutter of our own thoughts. There's a confusion of what everyone else sings. And, and what that can do is it can drown out God's voice. It's easy to take whatever is loudest to hear that voice rather than to hear God's. And there are powerful voices out there, out there as we hear them, but also in our own mind and feelings. But ultimately, they're not saving voices and they're not ultimately ones that can change the heart. They're not to be authoritative voices, but rather Jesus is. His voice is the one that we are to listen to. Sometimes that will be against the volume of the other voices or even against our own feelings. And Paul begins here because he is confident that the Thessalonians will endure. Why? Because they've listened to the voice of God. God is at work in them to hear and obey his voice. And we can take encouragement from that too. That as we read the scriptures, as we hear his word taught, we are hearing the voice of God. He's at work within us to hear his voice and obey him. We can be confident that we can endure when we listen to his voice. But secondly, Paul goes on to speak about the miracle of endurance in suffering in verses 14 to 16. As we've mentioned, life in the kingdom of God is not a picnic. It's not a, a sauve blanc by the sea, as nice as a sauve blanc by the sea is. The winds and rain of opposition had started to descend on this church. Real opposition... They would have experienced real anxieties, real fears, real pressures. And they would have been thinking, has something gone terribly wrong here? This is meant to be good news that we've been told from a good God. But yet they're, they're getting opposition and experiencing suffering. Has something gone wrong? Should they be expecting this? Well, Paul gives them a clearer picture of what is happening but he also speaks of the miracle and possibility of endurance in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 14, he says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea 
which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. Paul points to those who went before them. Primarily, he points to Jesus, who's involved in this struggle. He experienced suffering. And so following Jesus will also, for us, bring opposition. But Paul says you are not alone. You're not left unprepared because there's examples of others who have endured in the face of suffering. Paul says Jesus himself and the prophets endured, but also the churches in Judea all experienced suffering, yet faithfully endured. And so Paul is trying to to reset their expectations so that they can have confidence to endure. A theme that has come up, and we've mentioned it, and it comes up again and again in this letter, is the theme of imitation. Because imitation is powerful, isn't it? Today is Anzac Day, where we remember the sacrifice and service of many who fought to protect certain freedoms, who laid down their lives for the sake of others. And we celebrate the virtue in their character, the virtues of fortitude, courage, selflessness. But part of that story's power is that their story impacts our own. It it stirs up, it cultivates within us the desire for similar virtues. That we would make similar sacrifices if the need emerged, that we would imitate them. And that is what Paul is doing here. He speaks of those who have endured through suffering and calls on them to imitate them. I mentioned this quote last week, but Jason Hood writes, The New Testament provides a standard, a master, who provides a perfect paradigm for us to follow, the Lord Jesus. But it also provides for us accessible models. And Paul here tells the Thessalonians to imitate others who have endured in the midst of opposition. These would have been churches and people that they could have looked at. And this has the effect of producing in them and the church the miracle of endurance despite opposition. It builds the church. The church father, Tertullian, wrote, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It recognises that those who go before us are examples for us to follow and faithfully endure. And that is how God builds his church in the light of struggle. But Paul too also gives insight into the end. So he recasts expectations, but he gives us a window into the future. And they're pretty heavy words in verses 15 and 16. Speaking of those who oppose God, Paul writes this, They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. They're strong words, sobering words. But they're words reminiscent of 
ones that Jesus makes as well. Listen to this from John 16. Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. Paul speaks of this group who are seeking to stop the message of the gospel going forth. And he describes them as actually being hostile to God in the end. And their persistent hostility to God, Paul says, will meet a reckoning of sorts. New Testament scholar from last century, F.F. Bruce, captures the essence of this. He says, They have reached the point of no return in their opposition to the gospel, and final, irremediable retribution is inevitable. Indeed, it has come. It's extreme language that we read here. But we need to read it in light of Paul's wider purpose. See, these local opponents were trying to stop people hearing the message of salvation in Jesus. They were trying to stop this message going to all people. The gospel is the announcement that all people are freely welcomed and embraced by God through his son and his work for them. And they were trying to set up barriers to to exclude them from that. And we see here a picture that God comes down heavily on those who create unnecessary barriers to people coming to him. That's why that language is so strong, particularly in verse 16 that we read today. But it serves as a sobering warning as well. We're not to put barriers or to exclude others from knowing the reconciliation we have in Jesus Well, how has Paul built gospel resilience for this young church under threat? Well, firstly, he's told them that the God is at work amongst them already by his word, the voice of God, as they listen to him. But also he has set their expectations that that suffering and opposition is to be somewhat expected. And he's given them examples whom they can follow. Those in Christ can faithfully endure. Well, my second point there, how will this miracle come? And the second point is shorter. Well, firstly, we've labelled the miracles because they come from God. They're not something that we can summon within ourselves through our own intellect or through our own gumption. But these miracles come through Jesus. Firstly, Jesus as our example in verse 15, it reminded us that Jesus, as the prophets before him, endured in his earthly life many sufferings. Isaiah calls him the man of sorrows. And so what he calls us to endure, he himself has endured in ways that we will never know. In this sense, he is the master who provides a perfect paradigm for us. He's our example And so as we seek to faithfully endure, we look to the truly faithful one. We seek to imitate him. But the reality is, in Jesus, we have more than an example. And this is what verse 16 brings out. We have a saviour. 
verse 16 is hard to read. We dislike the language of wrath, God's intense anger. But it serves to remind us that outside of Christ, we too are hostile to God. Our right standing before him has nothing to do with what we do, but miraculously what Jesus has done for us. In his death, in his death, he drank the wrath reserved for you and me down to the last dregs. Jesus says in John 15, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for one's friends. And today, perhaps the power of the Anzac story lies here because it echoes this greater story. The greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for one's friends. Jesus is both our example, but he is our saviour. Well, what about our future? The Thessalonians could see the storm clouds coming of, of opposition. How do we understand it for ourselves? What does our future look like? Well, in many ways, the storm clouds of opposition for us do seem to be on the horizon. Uh, Steve McAlpine, in his book called Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says You Shouldn't, he writes this. In the eyes of much Western society, Christianity is the bad guy, or at least it is fast becoming so. Christianity is the problem, and it's happened so quickly it's taken us by surprise. And he goes on. The question we may ask is not simply how did this happen, but how did it happen so quickly? Wasn't it only yesterday that Christianity was begrudgingly accepted as a societal good? A bit like taking cod liver oil in the 50s. Not all that palatable, but beneficial. But now, it's not only unpalatable, it's positively toxic. And now it's time to get rid of it. This is not to say that, that Western culture is always wrong. Christianity has a mixed history. There are many occasions that can be cited where we've been too little like Jesus. And in that scenario, it's right for us to put up our hands and say we got it wrong and apologise. But on many issues, Western secularism and Christianity have diametrically opposed views. Christianity is increasingly seen as dangerous because of these views. In one sense, it seems the picnic is over. But life in the kingdom of God has never been a picnic. So as we think about our future, what will be potentially the particular temptations that will undermine our gospel resilience? Well, firstly, we'll stop listening to the voice of God. As we've said, we live in a noisy world. There are loud and powerful voices around us and powerful voices that come from within as well. And it's easy to drown out the voice of God. I, um, at home, love to have music on, but in order to, to hear what someone says, often I need to, to dial down the volume to let another voice come up above it to hear what someone is saying clearly. And in a similar way, we need to be discerning about the other voices in our lives. It's not saying don't listen to other voices, but 
They require discernment. And perhaps we need to dial down some of the cumulative voices in our lives out there, but also perhaps in here as well, because both can try to drown out God's voice. But at the same time, we, we, we need to dial up God's voice. He is the authoritative voice above others, even above our own feelings. But the good news that we can take from this passage is that God's voice, his word is, at work in you who believe by the Spirit. As we read and listen to the scriptures being taught, God miraculously speaks to us of good things, of good news from a good God. Well, how can we dial up God's voice in our life? Well, we do it through patterns of hearing his voice as we read the scriptures, as we speak to one another, we let the word of Christ dwell amongst us richly, but also as we gather, we recognise we come wanting, we expect God to speak, we come needy, we admit that God knows better than us, and we come ready to change, to hear and obey his word. We can endure if we listen to the voice of God. But the second temptation that will undermine our gospel resilience is that we'll give in at the first whiff of opposition. If our expectation that following Jesus is meant to be a picnic by the sea, we won't be ready when the storm hits. Part of the problem is that a Sav Blanc by the sea is very nice. And we like nice things. And indeed, many nice things are good. But every example of faithful followers before us has met opposition. And so we should expect it as well. Indeed, Jesus predicted it as much. But he is also our pattern and paradigm. So by his spirit, we can faithfully endure. By his spirit, we can have steels in our spine and strengthen our weak knees. And he gives us the necessary courage to stand for him to the end. So Paul calls us to look to Jesus as the perfect paradigm. But of course, that is something that's done together in community. We are to look to each other for encouragement as well. To hear through honest conversations how we are seeking to hear God's voice above the others. In which ways God's spirit has been giving us victories and growth or where we need support and prayer. We need each other in that through our community on here on Sunday, but also in our midweek community groups. We recast our expectations together and lay the foundations of gospel endurance centred around God's word and his spirit. Well, Paul has reminded, today, reminded us today that life in the kingdom of God is not a picnic. A life of following Jesus will inevitably involve struggle. But it's the daily miracles of hearing God's voice and faithfully enduring that Paul wants to plan in our hearts and minds for this coming week. Let's pray that he would do so. This band comes up.
Father, we thank you for your love for us. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice for us and your example to us. Spirit, would you strengthen us to hear, trust, obey and endure. In Jesus' name, amen.